he's alive. What a fantastic truth. I, I was reading a story uh, about a pastor friend who was talking about what happened in his family. He had a four-year-old and a six-year-old, and the six, seven-year-old boy had been in Sunday school, and the Sunday school teacher had told the kids that he was challenging them to share the gospel with somebody. And so the six, seven-year-old boy decided that the person he was going to share that news that Jesus was alive was going to be his four-year-old sister. So mom is watching this all happen and tells the, the husband later on that he marched his sister in the living room, made her sit on the couch, pulled up a little stool in front of her, looking her in the eye. He started rehearsing the entire story of Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, and how she needed to get saved, how she hmm. needed to call upon Christ. And he went through it all, and then when he was all done, he looked at her, put his hands on his hips, hips and he said, There. Now you know what you're supposed to do. All done, he got up and started walking out of the room in triumph. The little girl staring at his back, sitting still, Mom said, and finally she jumped up out of the chair and she says, Well, I already knew that. You didn't tell me anything new. <laughs> I read that story and I thought, I wonder how many of us are more like that little girl than what we would want to admit. That we come week after week, and we hear the Bible, and then we kind of say in our heart, I've heard it already, especially at the time of Easter, that during that Easter season, people say, oh, I already know the story, and they kind of tune it out, but just go through the motions. And I pray that that's not what we're doing this day. In fact, I would like us to take a few minutes, and together, we're just going to do this kind of off the cuff, and we're going to talk about that whole idea of what does the Easter story, the resurrection of Christ, what does it mean for us? How should it impact us? How should it make a difference day by day? Let's remind ourselves, we talked about this in the previous session mm -hmm. um, earlier this morning about the proofs that Jesus, by many infallible proofs, Luke wrote, he showed that he was alive. But when we start thinking amongst ourselves, Art, when you start thinking about the resurrection, what impresses you? What thought comes to your mind? What singular truth or lesson or guarantee, I want to use that phrase repeatedly. Uh, it guarantees me that I'm not crazy. No, I know that's debatable. I, that's debatable. I get it. I understand. But, but hear me out. The, the resurrection is the foundation of our faith. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, if, if you want to follow there, uh, I, I, it's the great resurrection chapter. There, it talks about the resurrection of Christ, the resurrection of our bodies, the resurrection that one day we'll all, we'll all experience. And he is going to talk about, in, this, in the first 11 verses, he's going to say that it's, it's the foundation of our faith, it's the foundation of our life that we, we live right now. And he's going to rehearse the role of Christ's bodily resurrection. And he, he talks about it, and even just like that little girl, he's, he, she, he hits the snippets in verses 3 and 4. He says... Uh, for I've delivered unto you, first of all, that which I've received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And he highlights just the essence of the gospel, that Christ was died, buried, and that he rose again. And what is really encouraging to me in this passage is how Paul talks about, this is the gospel that I've preached to you. It's the gospel that you received in verse 1. And then he says, it's the gospel wherein you stand. You're standing right now. Your daily life is living through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the, the power that we have. 
And he highlights through all of that that it's not in vain. He says at the end of verse 2, he says, unless you have believed in vain, he says, you're, you're secure, you're, you're securing your salvation unless you've believed in vain. And what he's talking about there is he's going to lay out the argument for the rest of chapter 15, unless like some people are saying that the resurrection really never happened. But we know that it did. Yeah. The facts from, yeah. from Sunday school, we, we saw that. But it's not in vain. And he highlights that, that phrase of not being in vain a number of times. In fact, he says it again in verse 14. If Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain. Everything we're doing right now is, is worthless. It's futile. It's pointless. He says, and your faith also is in vain. And then he goes on a little bit further. Verse 17, he's going to say your faith is in vain again if the resurrection didn't happen. And verse 19, we would be of all men most miserable because we're living this life to honor and glorify God, to live for him, to serve him. And he says, it would all be vain. So I look back at the resurrection and and the historical fact, the biblical fact, he says both those times, according to the scripture, God's word is fulfilled. I have this guarantee of my faith because of what God's word said, what happened in the resurrection. And it lends, it's it's the, the great validity to all of that. It's the ultimate sign of Christ being God. In fact, uh, Peter takes it a little bit further when he talks about in, uh, in Acts chapter 2. Uh, Acts chapter 2, he's going to talk about the, uh, in his Pentecost message, he's, he's going to be talking there about the, the resurrection. And he highlights in verses 31 through 36, he, he comes back to that. Because as we think about Christ being the Son of God, he's made that claim his entire life. In fact, that's why the, the Jews wanted, the, the religious leaders wanted to put him to death because he made that claim that he was the Son mm-hmm. of God. The, uh, the, the soldier at the cross, mm-hmm. what did he recognize? Truly, this man was the Son of God. And so we, we see that Jesus Christ claimed to be the Son of God, claimed to be the Son of God. And now, where is our, where is our evidence of that that's in the resurrection even? That beyond just his words, the validity of it, chapter 2, verse 30, 31, talking about he's, Peter is going to say he spoke before the resurrection of Christ and how that verse 32, Jesus hath God raised up. His flesh didn't see corruption in the grave. It didn't stay there. It wasn't held forever. He, he rose again. And what, what is neat to me, I mean, Paul talks about it in Romans 1, verse 4, that you know, he was declared to be the Son of God with power, mm-hmm. that, that he is the Son of God. And then at the end, in verse 36, he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly this confidence that we have, that God hath made this same Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. the one who you crucified, the one who you put to death on the cross, he's made him Lord. He is the Lord. He is the creator. He is the, the sovereign of the universe. He is the one who I can look and say, Jesus Christ is God. And so all of that put together, it gives me this, this great guarantee that my faith, it's not, it's not futile. You're not crazy. I'm not crazy. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and, and the passage goes on, and it, even, it gives other names of Christ, or, or of God. It gives the name Christ. But you've been dealing with the names of God, so why don't, why don't you go for it? Yeah, in, in the context of that and thinking through some of the names of Jesus Christ and, and what that means, remembering that each name carries a meaning, a weight to it, uh, defining who he is, uh, an attribute he has, what he does, his activity. And then thinking in the context of, of that realm for me the last few weeks, what names really stand out to me when I think of the resurrection? I'm taken back to, to the Old Testament. There's the name El Moshe'ah, um, Psalm 68, verses 19 and 20. 
As you read through them, it says this. It says, blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. I mean, that's his work. He's, he's carrying us. He's carrying the weight that we have. And it says then that God is our salvation. Our God is a God of salvation. And El Moshe'ah is that name for God. It's called the God who saves. And when you think about that, it, it makes me think about that name meaning that he is a God who is present to notice that there is something that we need to be saved from. There's a danger that we're facing. So he's present. He's, he's there with us. And he is noticing that there's a, something that is a danger, and he is coming up with a plan of here's how I can help you through this danger. So he's present. He's planning ahead. And then he, as God, is capable and willing to help if we call and say, I need you. I think about that in the context of Israel, specifically their time in right around the Exodus. They have all the plagues during the time when they're in Egypt. And right before the 10th plague, God comes and says, I'm passing judgment on all those who are in the land. And you two are in danger, but if you take the blood of the lamb and spread it over the doorpost, I have a plan for you, a way to save you from this impending doom. And, uh, and he does that. He proves himself to be true. And then they leave Egypt and everything is great and they get to the Red Sea and now they face a completely different type of situation where, God, we need help. And he's not far off and distant. El Moshe'ah is right there saying, I've seen what you need. I am willing to provide a way for you. So he's the God who notices. He comes up with a plan to save and then he provides a way of rescue. And so in our context today, we're not facing a plague. We're not standing by the side of a river, but we have the danger of sin. Right? We are told in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, that sin came into the world through one man, and death now comes with that sin. And so because of that, death has spread to all men because all have sinned. Like, it's super clear there, right? We are all sinners. We have all somehow transgressed God's standard of righteousness, and God says, this is who you are. Mm-hmm. Not just something you've done, but this is who you are. And the wages of our sin, according to Romans again, is death. And so God who can plan and who can see and who's present notices that there's a danger you're facing. I have a plan to be able to save you from that danger. And I will interact with you if you call on me for help. And that's who he is. That's the essence of his character, the God who saves. And then you switch over to the name that you mentioned, the, the name Messiah that we hear from the Old Testament, translated into the Greek as Christ. The same meaning where it has this idea of the anointed one. Someone who was set aside from others, set aside for a specific purpose. So the God who saves sees where we're at and says, I need to send a way for you to be rescued. And I will do that through the Messiah. The Jews, a lot of them probably considered the Messiah just to be that physical rescue that they were looking for from being dominated or overrun by specifically the Romans during the time of Jesus Christ. And they're saying, we know that the promised one will come and he will rescue us. But they had to have understood more of the context of that name and what he was able to do. The idea that there is one coming, an anointed one that has been set aside for the purpose to rescue you from sin to see where your danger is at, to pull you out of that, to reconcile then the relationship that you as a sinner have been put into with God. You were close. That was God's plan. But one man's act brought that all, all separated. Now we need to be reconciled. And that is what the Messiah will do. And ultimately, he's going to even remove the, the essence of sin from this world. And so that's the part of the Messiah, the Christ, that we're still looking for. But there was something within Jesus that began to fulfill the role that we knew he played as Jesus Christ. He is the one who comes as the Messiah, as Christ, who is the one who has been set aside to rescue and to reconcile. And you get to John chapter 20, 
verses 30 and 31, and John says this, that these signs, everything I just mentioned to you that Jesus did, I could have told you so much more, but just the ones I've shown you in the Bible, they are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Not might be, but he is the Christ, and that believing you may have life in his name. Then you get to 1 Corinthians 15, the passage that you mentioned, and there's a couple ideas that stand out to me from there. In verses 21 and 22, you get a little bit of that talk again about Adam and Christ, the difference between the two of them. You look at 1 Corinthians 15, 21, and 22, and it says this, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ, Messiah, the one who was set aside from the beginning, shall all be made alive. I even think all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. You know, God kind of giving us a glimpse as we look back through Scripture when he says, hey, I have this plan for a way that sin will ultimately be, be defeated. He was back then in Genesis, the God who saves, looking ahead to say there's a danger coming. I can help you through that danger, through the Messiah, who is Jesus the Christ. Then you get again to what you mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 17. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. That's the other thing that stood out to me. God had this plan and he looked ahead. And since Jesus has done this, since he has raised back to life, the plan was fulfilled. Like it's not futile. Everything that I've been planning and bringing up for you, the rescue that I brought into your way, it was all fulfilled. Nothing futile. Where we can look and say, I'm not crazy. It all does mean something. This is strong. So our faith is not in vain, which leads me to think of Romans chapter 4. It's the other verse I wrote down, 25. Jesus, our Lord, has delivered us up. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Again, he was delivered up to be persecuted, to die because of our sins, And he was also raised up. And that whole process brings about the justification. You had mentioned it. It's a nice, simple definition to remember that when we are justified before God, it's as if, just as if I've never sinned when God looks at us that way. Almost that God can look at us now and he can say, I declare them to be righteous because when they accept that Jesus died for them, that my plan as the one who saves to bring Messiah to save them, then I can look at them and say that they, they're righteous before God. So those are the names. That's, that's how I equate some of that. What does the resurrection mean to me? The God who saves has always had a plan. He put it into motion a long time ago. It was fulfilled through the Messiah, through Jesus Christ. And I find that to be extremely encouraging. And, and people, when they come in faith, must believe mm-hmm. that Christ has risen from the dead. Romans chapter 10, mm-hmm. where we read those verses. We, we're so familiar with verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. But just before that, he says, if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that resurrection, not only does it guarantee our faith is solid, rock solid, those truths, basic truths, it guarantees us the fact that God has given us forgiveness of sin, mm-hmm. salvation. There's a, there's a couple other things that I want to share with you. If you're at home and, and have your Bible on your lap, jump with me to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7. I'm going to read a text from there. But while you're turning, let me read a couple other passages that talk about the resurrected Christ and what that did in making him 
to be, I'm going to use the term, another title that maybe you've talked with the kids already, but we're going to talk for a few minutes amongst ourselves. Because of his resurrection, he is guaranteed to be our intercessor. Mm, Um, Romans 8. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? In other words, who shall bring accusations against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. We read in Hebrews 4, Seeing then we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. Without that resurrection, he wouldn't be there. But Hebrews 7, verse 24, 25, This man, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. It's all that aspect. He had to come back to life. Otherwise, we wouldn't have an intercessor. Now, there might be somebody sitting here that isn't, isn't clear what we mean by intercessor. you have a good definition, illustration? I had a situation with my kids the other day, and I would think that many people have had a situation like this. Our son is nine. Our daughter is six. And uh, I know this doesn't just happen with them. But I was in our kitchen, and I could hear them whispering from the bedroom. And I don't remember the, exactly what my son was, had asked me several minutes before. But I heard him whispering, saying something to the effect, what I thought was, go ask, go ask Dad, see if we can. And my daughter comes out just all happy-go-lucky, bouncing in. Hey, Dad, Preston and I were wondering if we could. He had asked her because he felt that she could get the answer he wanted. He had asked her to come in and plead for his case. Hey, go check with dad to see if we can do this. I asked him yesterday too. I said, hey, do you remember exactly what it was that you and Eden were trying to get me to do? And he said, no, I don't even remember doing that. And so again, I don't think it's just my kids. I remember doing that when I was younger. Oh, yeah. Kids at church oh, yeah. do it all the time. Yeah. Yep. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's the idea. Just sending someone in my place to, yeah. to take it to for me. Go between. Mm-hmm. Go between. Um, so... This is the past, this one verse that I use almost every Sunday that our people know. Um, it, it struck me in a different way, the John 14, 6, about the go-between, hmm. where it says, um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Hmm. I always bring it the idea of, okay, gets into heaven. heaven. Right. But there's more to it. Hmm. That's a good point. No man can come even into the presence of the Father. Without Christ, right? Yeah, and being alive, He's that intercessor that opens up. It, any any thoughts go through your mind on Christ being our intercessor? Well, He's uh, yeah, He's He has the all access pass, so to speak. I mean, if you go anywhere, you want to get behind the scenes, you have to have that that all access mm-hmm. pass to be able to get there, and you you're still may not get close to the sports person or the icon that mm-hmm. you want to see, but but Christ always has that and why why does he have he has that because he's been exalted to the right hand of the father there's nothing between him him and the father when when christ was crucified buried resurrected god approved the the, you know you you Mm -hmm. reference that and god approves of it there's nothing if, if christ still had sinned if he wasn't resurrected if he was still in the grave he doesn't have that and so for me it's it's very encouraging to know that the one who is my intercessor has no, there's no barriers between he and the one he's going to. Mm. He has it all the time. And there's no time, there's no time that's off limits. 
I can go at any time, in any crisis, at any moment. It's not like he's got to, hey, be back in, out for lunch, be back in hmm. 10 minutes. He's, he's always available. Heaven shut down because of he a, hasn't because Exactly. Of a There's no yeah. shutdown. Yeah. 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 I just, that, to me, is extremely encouraging that any, he ever lives to do that. Any thoughts of intercession? Yeah, I, I was looking back to that uh, Hebrews chapter 4, right, knowing that that's where it compares Jesus as a high priest mm-hmm. to what an earthly priest was. And, and earthly priests were great, but they, only, they fulfilled a role at the time. But now Jesus has kind of taken what they did. And made it even better than anybody could imagine. And I was just looking at verses 14, 15, and 16. And I just grabbed something from each one of those verses as I was thinking about it. In verse 14, it says, let us hold fast our confession. Again, that idea that this is something that you believe. Mm -hmm. And thinking back to 1 Corinthians, it's not futile. So hold it fast. Cling to it. Believe this. And don't just believe it. But take it within you and then hold fast as an act upon it, yeah. right? Not just, oh, I know it to be true, but I know it to be true, therefore I will be compelled to do something. Um, that, that kind of fits for me there. In verse 15, it says that phrase we're familiar with, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. Um, I think of Jesus Christ, and, and sometimes I guess when I thought of high priest, I thought of the person that was somewhat removed from everybody else. You know, I, I live within this temple. You all live out there. We kind of interact, but that's not Jesus. He's not aloof. He's not unaware of what's going on. He physically dealt with the same kind of things that we do. And so he can relate to the physical feelings, struggles, whatever they may be that we experience. But even that idea of sympathizing, it's not just that he can relate, but that he chooses to be relatable. Like, you're not just doing this on your own. It's not that I'm familiar with what's happening to you. I am right here with you when it is happening. And I can sympathize with you. Uh, that we often think of the idea of empathy. You know, when somebody else is hurting, we might look and say, man, that person really knows how to sympathize with them because they're, they're very empathetic. Um, and that's who Jesus is. Verse 16 then, that idea of with confidence you can draw near. Knowing that he's my intercessor. He's always there. There's nothing between him and God. I can confidently draw near to Jesus, who on my behalf will confidently draw near to, to God himself. Almost that repetitive, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. I was looking like, what does that mean to confidently draw near? Uh, one of the ways that I heard somebody translate it, they said just um, bold frankness. Like you can be as blatant and honest with Jesus as you want to be. Not just boldly come knowing he'll hear you, but boldly just tell him exactly how you're feeling. And he can take that and he can go on your behalf to God. And knowing that that's what we're called to do, it's almost like Jesus is saying, I expect you to share with me as openly and honest as you can. How are you feeling? What can I do for you? Because my desire is to be the one that goes for you to God. And all because he's alive. Yeah. Because he's right. resurrected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you probably don't know that what... Several years ago, there was a lady in our church, one of our seniors, that um, she had an illness and um, she was struggling financially, limited, somewhat limited income. And uh, I remember the case well that she got some bills. And so she went to the hospital to get the person who was working in the billing department to give her assistance to get all the paperwork taken care of to help her with her need. At that moment, and the person was very gracious, very helpful. Said, "I'm going to be able to submit these forms, get it all taken care of, and your fifty thousand dollar bill is going to be, you know, taken care of by the insurances. No problem." She walked away, but then she got the bills started coming a few weeks later, and she went back and saw that person and found out that that person who had promised to do all this had forgotten to submit the paperwork, mm-hmm. and by the time that 
you know, she wow. came again, the expiration date had passed. And as a result, the insurance company was denying all of her claims and said, she's totally responsible. So she had somebody to assist her to intercede, but they just didn't do the job. Right. We have an intercessor mm -hmm. who cannot fail, who will not delay, and he's alive in heaven, which... Yeah. I mean, joysome, joysome thought. Let me show you something else about another passage about the resurrection that is found in Ephesians 1. You want to join us? Ephesians chapter 1. Tremendous passage where Paul is talking about the uh, resurrection and how it should impact our lives. And there's so much here. This is worth multiple sermons, and we'll try to keep a briefer <laughs> just as we get through a couple more passages. But Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16. Paul is writing, and if you get the context, he's saying to you people, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayer. And, that, and then he's going to tell us what his prayer is, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom, revelation in the knowledge of him. By the way, the word knowledge that keeps on showing up in this text, it's the idea of experiential knowledge, mm -hmm. not just theoretical, but real, everyday experiential knowledge. That the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us, word, who believe according to the working of his mighty power. So he wants them to experience God's great power, which he hath wrought in Christ when what? when he raised him from the dead and set him at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. Do you realize what the text is getting at? The power that raised up Christ, Paul was praying that we would experience that same type of power to help us to change, to grow, to become everything that God wants us to be. The power of the resurrection. When you think about that, how that power that raised Christ that we may experience it in our own lives. What comes to mind? How might you, me, these folk, how I, might that play into our everyday life? I think, again, for me, thinking back to the power that God had to come up with a plan way back at the beginning and to carry that plan through for what we view as thousands of years, and nothing stopped that. Though, though the disciples looked and we talked earlier and we, we thought about how they must have felt knowing that this wasn't what we thought was going to happen. But that was God's plan all along. That power to have the foresight and to say, I have planned this to happen and I can make it come to fruition. That's the same power that God interacts with me. So when I look and say, I face a situation where I don't know what to do. God's like, don't worry, I've got it figured out. And I will fulfill on every promise that I've made to you in scripture. Because that's the power that I possess. Not just to make the promise but to actually keep the promise, which again goes with one of his names that we talked about, Elamet. You know, he's, he is the truth and he, he tells the truth. Which means even though we don't know what's going to happen next week, week after next month, God's got a plan in this. Yeah. And right. his power can make things work for his glory. Yeah. And the, the, power, the power that is enabled to us, you know, Paul wants to know the power of the resurrection. You, you look back to even, oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your, your victory? The sting of death is sin. Sin's been removed in 1 Corinthians 15. And he, he goes on with this idea of we can have victory in temptations and struggles and our, our, and our battles and our sin because mm. of the resurrection and the power of the, the resurrection. And what I found at the end of that 1 Corinthians 15 passage, I loved it, verse 58, 
what does no. it say? He yeah. says, be steadfast, unmovable, unmovable always, always abounding, abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that our labor, labor is not it's not in vain. The same word he's been using all along. Our work in day in and day out for Christ, our ministry for Christ, our witnessing, our, our telling our friends about him, our battles in prayer, going before the Lord, all those things that are happening that sometimes we just feel like, can I keep going every day? <laughs> he says, the power of the resurrection says, yes, you can. And, and out of love and adoration and response, and res- response to Christ for his, his death and then his resurrection, I want to be steadfast. I want to be immovable. And I can because of Christ's power that he gives to us. Yeah. I was reading an account, true story. Harry Ironside was preaching an open-door, open-air meeting in Chicago years ago. And as he was preaching, there was a guy. Chicago, represent. (laughs) He was preaching on the open-air platform, and up came a man who was well-known in the city, writing articles from an agnostic uh, point of view in criticism of the gospel and the preachers like Ironside and others. And the man came up to uh, Ironside while he was preaching and handed him a slip of paper. So Ironside took the slip of paper and read it and then read it to the entire crowd that was listening to him. And in the note, the man who was now standing in front of him had challenged him and said, I will debate you publicly about Christianity versus unbelief. And uh, we will, I've already reserved the science hall at two o'clock on Sunday afternoon. And Ironside responded in front of everybody, said, Sir, I will be there and I will debate you if you first of all do this one thing. You must find somebody whose life is, has been basically ruined by their choices, by their decisions. Uh, somebody, I don't care if it was they were addicted to alcohol or they had ruined their family through you know, gambling. And he listed off a variety of things. But you find one person, whatever gender, whatever age, one person whose life was absolutely destitute, they were despondent, they had no hope, they were even thinking of giving up, their, taking their own life. But they came to where you were speaking and they heard hmm. your explanation of life, that there is no purpose, there is no plan, there is no future. And from your exposition they got hope and purpose and their life changed. And sir, if you can find one person that can testify that you made this difference in their life through your ministry to them and what you believe, then I'll come. But I'm going to bring hundreds of people (laughs) that will come and testify that they've experienced the power of the resurrected Christ in their changed lives. He never did do the debate with that man. The man never came through with even finding the one. I, I think about another guarantee. We talked about it guarantees the certainty of our doctrinal faith. It guarantees our forgiveness of sin, salvation. It guarantees there's an intercessor in heaven. Guaranteed that we can experience the greatest power on earth. But there's guarantees about future because of the resurrection. I read one text where Paul is speaking to the Athenians. And it says in Acts chapter 17, verse 31... Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he ordained to be the judge. Whereof he has given us that assurance in that he raised him from the dead. The death, uh, the resurrection of Christ guarantees there's going to be judgment one day. And all of us will face it. As we think, for just a minute here, as we think about the guarantee of a future judgment... Any impact? Any impressions? 
I know as a believer, I remember as a second grader showing up at a friend's party and a birthday party and not having a, a gift to offer. Uh, I, we, I somehow communication got crossed and I didn't have a gift. And I remember being there as a second grader and everybody else is bringing gifts and offering mm-hmm. in. And I remember crawling back and just shrinking in complete utter shame and knowing that I didn't have anything to offer my friend. Mm. But I had to think about how does that impact me when I look and say, there is going to be a judgment for what I do for Christ, how I live, as uh, a the attitude as a, as a Christian first. Yeah. 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 And, and so that's how I personally thought about it and thinking, what am I going to offer to him? What does my life represent? Does my, my life really represent the, the resurrected Lord, the hope that he has, the excitement, the, the service that I need to be, be giving to him? And so that, that really impacted me. And I mean, there's, even as a non-believer, if for a non-believer, yeah. you get the flip side. If the resurrection is really going to happen, I mean, yeah. I don't know if you have any. No, no, just almost that same idea where as a Christian you look and say, this is really cool that I will be judged one day and could be awarded or rewarded for right. my activity. But it's also challenging. Um, I, a few things. It's very humbling to think that the God of all the universe is paying that close attention to me. Hmm. And he wants that relationship with me so much that he's saying, I'm, I'm cheering for you. And I have all this that I want to, I, I'm compelled in God's nature, compelled to give this to you. And I want to reward you for the way that you are honoring me. And, and that can be devastating to think, like, what have I done? Right. Or also encouraging to think, I was able to do this for God. Yeah. Not that, yeah. not that I, like, there's pride in myself, but I was able to do this for God. And then challenging again from the idea of thinking as a Christian, it's not just what will I get from him, but how am I helping other people to get to a point where they can be rewarded by him as well? Right. You know, what does is, what is my gospel witness look like? How am I reaching out to others to say, this is really cool. We as Christians are celebrating God's resurrection today. Is it something that I value enough to tell other people about? And if those That's people, it. if those people who we know run into, work by, not run into right now, but <laughs> when we, normal life, if they don't know this Christ, mm-hmm. guaranteed by the resurrection, right. they are going to stand before him one day. And they're going to be judged. And if we truly believe the resurrection has happened, and it has historically, mm-hmm. then he guarantees that this judgment will happen. And God's mm-hmm. word is truth. Again, it is going to, yeah. there it is, Elmet. It's going to happen. And so how does that impact me to telling my friends? And if you're listening and you're not a, you're not a believer, to look and to say, God's word has happened with the resurrection. It's going to happen with judgment. And you need to be prepared for that judgment. You need to be saved. And the way you get saved is recognized, as we've already said, Christ is the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father by, mm-hmm. by him. You need to believe in your heart that he is the one and only who has died for your sin and that he has risen up into heaven and is preparing a place for you if you call upon him as Savior. Which brings me to another thought about our future. That we read, and because of the resurrected Christ, when he's promising, I'm going to be leaving. He made this comment in John 14, In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. The, the guarantee of heaven. Hmm. But I'm going to talk about that in just a few minutes from another passage. Let, let, let's do one more guarantee. One more guarantee, and that is the guarantee of our own personal resurrection. We read in these passages, and you have, um, you have, are, you have 1 Corinthians open? I do. Okay, in just a minute, we'll have you read 20 to 23. But let me read a few others just beforehand. 
knowing in 2 Corinthians 4.14, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up also us also by Jesus, and we shall be, uh, and we shall be present with him. We read in Romans chapter eleven, uh, chapter eight, verse eleven. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or raise up your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. First mm-hmm. John, we read in chapter three, verse two. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him because of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But now in Christ risen from the dead and become the first, is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, after that are Christ at his coming. Do you want me to keep going or that? I think you got it. Okay. It gives us yeah. the idea. Yeah. Because the. In, an, in a certain order, Christ. there's right. going to be, and we'll, let's develop that thought a little bit more. Um, as um, I was reading this week about our own resurrection, the thought was going through my mind, you know, we're going to, when we die, we go to be with the Lord. So how important is it that our, or that a resurrection takes place since our spirits will already be with the Lord? And I was reminded of several thoughts that we really aren't in a total, in a totality of what we are created, we're not like that—that that snail that goes from shell to shell to shell. Mm-hmm. Um, just you know, we're not a—we're not a spirit that is just here and then at the rest of the eternity it's going to be a disembodied spirit, and that'd be all. We were made as physical beings. Mm-hmm. There was a design from the very beginning, um, almost like a staircase mm-hmm. progression. Yeah, it's from one, one to the next. Even at Christ and his resurrection, we we're talking about his resurrection is just the beginning he's, of his ascension. He's going to continually ascend to the throne at the right hand. He's going to come back. He's going to ascend. He'll be on the millennial throne. And then one day, ultimately, above, above the entire new heaven and new earth, sitting on the throne of David forever. And even in our bodies, we're, we're raised to something better. And it's just, I look forward to that, that time when this corruptible, is raised in incorruption. This weak and frail will be raised in strength yeah, well, and honor. Yeah, yeah. And let's let's back up. A, you know, okay. We're saved. Great yeah. life. Yeah. Great life. Being saved. Mm-hmm. We die. Go to heaven. Great. Great. I can shelter in place there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. But is that the end? No. I mean, I'm. I, I guess even as you guys are talking about it, thinking about. How sometimes we put so much stock in the resurrection as the end of God's plan. It's just another step in the whole process, but it's a very defining step. You know, when Jesus is slowly, we get to heaven whenever we finally get there, even if it's at the, the point of the rapture, and there's still so much more that's going to happen. And there's so much more that we have to, I would think that we're still continuing to learn and to take in. We're in heaven, this beautiful place. And when you think about us finally being there, there will be saints from around the world, from every era of time, where now suddenly we're together and we've never had worship like that before you know and it's just wow this is cool and then it starts to sink in and and like this is what we're doing all the time you know not just that but this is what we are able to do each time that's encouraging to think that there's so much more than just i'm here and now what oh well then god will reward me because there's judgment 
And then do we just throw crowns back? Is that all we do all day? But it's like, no, there's, there's so much more beyond yeah, that. There's the progression again. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the progression of our bodies being reunited with our spirits, mm-hmm. if we're not, if the rapture is post some of this, um, the, you know, that is we die before mm-hmm. the rapture takes place. And then we get a new kingdom, right. a physical kingdom that we're living on, and then a new heaven, a new earth, and it comes to, I, I guess I can't help but think this, that for all the good things we enjoy now and if our spirits go into heaven, the real fulfillment and totality of what God has planned for us won't be experienced until we are resurrected mm-hmm. in our created bodies, spirits together, and in his presence forever and ever and ever. And it's all because... The resurrection. the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah. I said there was one more thing I wanted to talk about, and I put my notes over there. So if we can shift gears for a second, I want to wrap this up by talking from 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, if you want to join me there as I head over this direction. 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to look at verses 3 through 7 for just a few moments. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. As we've talked about the guarantees that the resurrection brings to us, this passage talks about Christ, because of his resurrection, bringing us in their guarantee, and that is of a living hope, or a lively hope, the way it's put in some of our translations. And that all, all just simply means that what Christ did for us is that Jesus Christ gives us something that is an absolute, a reality, uh, a certainty, as opposed to something that is dead or something that doesn't have life to it or any vibrancy. But we have a real living hope, a hope that he mentions down in verse 6 as bringing us real joy and great rejoicing. I find that very interesting, especially when it's Peter who is writing these verses. Because Peter, as we all know, that at that first time when, when we're celebrating this whole Easter season before the resurrection of Christ, Peter was devastated. But the resurrection resurrection gave him rejoicing, great rejoicing, because it renewed a living hope that he had in his own heart. Let's read the passage and let's see exactly what he's talking about. Blessed be the God of the Father and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, notice a couple things with me. That this lively hope, this certainty that we have that produces great joy, all because of the resurrection, it is because we know that we are part of God's family. We get that from that phrase, according to his abundant mercy, he has made us to be begotten or born again. Listen, there's great joy in realizing that we are part of God's family, that we know that he is our father, that we are going to be with him in heaven one day forever and ever. But he goes a little bit further. He says that I have this certainty, this hope that not only am I part of God's family because I called upon Christ as my Savior, but also that because I know I have a great future awaiting us. Peter says he includes himself in this where he makes comment, 
that we have this because of the resurrection of Christ. We have an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. He describes that heaven that we referred to just a few moments ago in our discussion as being imperishable, never spoiling, no expiration date. Sometimes when we gather and say, let's, let's get some foodstuffs to give away, our ladies go through and make sure that, that the things that we would give away, they're not expired. Or when we collect clothes, we want to make sure that, that you know, though, even though they're used, they have some substance that, that is worthy and merited of giving away. And he says, this heaven is always good. It never wears out. It never wears down. It's undefiled. That word is never stained, means never to be tainted, never stained, flawless, always having that new car smell. That it is just something that is refreshing and, and vibrant and new. He says that it is unfading. unfading. The word that's used there, the ancient Greeks used to talk about the perennials, that they would come again and again and again, that flowers that would never basically die off. And the idea here is that this inheritance that we're looking forward to, made possible by the resurrection, it will never dry up. It'll never decay. It'll never get old. And then he makes the comment that it's reserved for us in heaven, military term, safeguarded, protected, shielded. That this isn't something that, that'll get away from us. This isn't something that we better get there before it, it wears out or runs down. We don't want to be late. But it's a place that we won't miss out on. But then he says, I rejoice because I have a living confidence that we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in that last time. Listen, folk, real joy is this, is knowing for certain, having an absolute confidence that we are kept in faith by God's power, by God's grace, not by what we do. I remember growing up in the church that, um, that I had grown up in, and, and I was always having in the back of my mind that fear, that worry, that maybe I didn't please the preachers enough. Maybe we didn't do everything the church wanted us to do, and all of a sudden we would lose our salvation, or it could be taken away from us. We're kept by the power of God. There is no need to worry. There is no need to fear. God has garrisoned us about, put a wall about us, keeps an eye on us, as we just talked about moments ago. The worry, the pressure is off. We are, we are on our way to heaven because of the work of God who is keeping us forever as part of his family. And then he goes on and he says, You greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness of, through manifold temptations. And he talks a little bit that brings me to this conclusion that we are, we are absolutely confident because of the resurrection that our trials are not permanent nor impossible to endure. Our difficulties... Yeah, they're going to be there. Believers face them. Where he says that you have manifold, many colored, many different different variations of, of temptations or trials. He talks about how even at moments we can be grieved that there's some heaviness at, at some moments. But despite all that, we understand that even in those moments of difficulty, these difficulties, they are not permanent. Because Christ has risen, is going to heaven, promised us a future in heaven, God is keeping us reserved. There's, there's, a, there's a, a, a reservation for us in this glorious place. He is saying to us that all of what we experience now is only temporary. 
that there is something more permanent, something far better. And not only is it temporary, these trials are even for our benefit at this time to make that future even better because they are trying us, proving our faith as he goes on. And he says in, that, in verse 7 that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise and glory and honor so that one day when we stand before the Lord we can be rewarded, we can be commended, because our trials have purged us. Our trials have benefited us. We put it all together. And we are peoples that as believers in Christ, this day that we celebrate is a wonderful day. It's a glorious day. It's all based upon this whole thought that we have a living hope because of the resurrection. That living hope that we have gives us great joy. That great joy that we have should be apparent no matter what difficulties we are experiencing at this moment. No matter how tense it gets being in the, sheltered in the house, no matter how, how trialsome it is worrying about the future, we have a living hope. We have a promise and it should be shown that, that our joy and our confidence in that living hope is present day after day. I can't help but bring myself to this thought then. Then I have to ask... Do you have such hope and such joy? Do you right now know that you're going to be in heaven one day? If not, won't you please call upon Christ to forgive you of your sins and give you eternal life? If you as a believer in Jesus Christ are struggling, then you need to reflect on that promise, that living hope that Jesus Christ has given. We invite you, if you have any concerns, questions, need some assistance, please contact us and we will gladly get back to you as soon as possible to help you to have that joy, that living hope in Jesus Christ. We are so blessed. We've talked this day about all the different things that the, the resurrection has done for us and the blessings that we've mentioned are multiple and manifold. But there's one other blessing we have yet to mention this day. And I want to close with this thought that we are rejoicing today in the fact that we have fellowship. We have fellowship with you even though we can't get together physically, we can do it this way. And that we can know and we can understand, we can even feel your prayers, we can appreciate you. And we wanted to take just a moment as a pastoral staff and families to just say hello to you since we can't see you physically to give you our Easter greetings this year. Forty-five minutes with all of us. I don't think so. No. And then you have right after that mm-hmm. the greetings. The live intro will be very brief unless we have to make.